The ancient prophet, whose name was Balaam, learned that following God is very important, that you cannot lead unless you follow the leader, and God was the leader. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rodham. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, a program taking you through the Bible. Very excited about that this year. And as we go to Numbers chapter 21 to 24, we learn from chapter 24 some very interesting things about Balaam. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what'd you do? Well, I'm going to be taking a look at Balaam, but from a historical perspective. Ryan? Today, I'm going to be exploring just how important the Arnon River was and is to all forms of life. All right. Very good. Look forward to that. And Janice, what did we do? Today? Well, it's Fun Friday wrap-up, so I can ask a question anywhere from our reading from the last week, which will mean anywhere from Numbers chapter 1 all the way through 24. Hope you're ready for it. Numbers 24, verses 1 through 9. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel! Like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Numbers chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. Numbers chapter 21 to 24. This is very interesting. We continue to read through the Bible as we do this for the 32nd time here. And uh, let me tell you that it is very, very interesting because we're talking about the law of God. Now, God speaks in many ways. We know that. One of those ways is in blessing people. We know that. Now, this is why Psalms says, and listen carefully to Psalms 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And it goes on. I'll stop there. You see, when we are blessed by God, it's because we have obeyed him and the Lord has chosen to show himself to us. 
But you know, the most important thing that we should remember is that being blessed is not simply about us and our walk and our life. It's about the rest of the world seeing how God blesses us because we obey. Now, this causes people to ask questions about him in our lives so that we can lead them to the reality of who God is. Without God, we are lost and pitiful, but with him working in our lives, we are blessed. We will grow the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in us that sharply contrast with the fruit of the world, let me tell you. When others, like our neighbors and our friends, do not see that we should ask ourselves this very important question, and that is, how effectively are we truly showing Jesus Christ in our lives? And you know, that doesn't mean just being somebody who always is nice and talks in the neighborhood, but that is somebody who, as well, treats people properly. It becomes very important because we're sensitive to that. If you have a Bible guide, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. If you don't, here's my question, why not? Write for your Bible guide today. Call us, you can write to us, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on the page and it'll take you exactly where we're at. I want to mention to you that when you get there and do that, it'll actually take you to a place where you can download just exactly like we printed so you yourself can get on this particular subject that we're talking about today. So, Father, help us, Lord. Help us to understand what you're saying today in this particular passage, chapter 24. We need to hear you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, now look at this, okay? This is very important. Numbers chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, just the first two verses. Look at this. It says, now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face towards the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit, capital S, of God came upon him. All right, this is interesting. Why is this interesting? Simple. The Holy Spirit came on Balaam when he turned towards God. Beloved, we follow Jesus Christ. He does not follow us. Balaam was a kind of sorcerer prophet who was not all that great. Just a guy who was into the spiritual realm. And God told Israel and told the people of Israel, you need to skew that down, all of this spiritual talk, and focus on me. The Lord, the one true God, the Lord your God is one. Love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. This is what God was saying. Now, Balaam was kind of one of those guys who just was a spiritual person who talked to this spirit, that spirit, and everything else. And when he turns towards God, suddenly he sees the Holy Spirit. And now he's going to communicate what the Holy Spirit says. Now, this becomes important. As we study, watch this carefully. Numbers chapter 24, 3 says, Then he took up his oracle and he said this. This is what Balaam said. The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes were opened, the utterances of him who hears the words of God, 
who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Now, this brings me to the second point. Balaam understood that God was leading and he should follow. God was leading and he should follow. You see, things go much easier for us today when we learn to follow the Lord rather than to do what we want. Half the people in this world just want to do what they want. That's not a good position to be in, beloved. We need to follow the Lord. We need to be a part of what God is doing. We need to get with the one true God and understand that. And when we do that, our lives get a lot better. And we do not live in fear all the time, like many people are living now, but we live in faith. We trust the Lord. Which brings me to this next passage, 5 to 9. Numbers chapter 24, verse 5 says, How lovely are your tents! O Jacob, Israel, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour out water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies, and he shall break their bones and pierce them with arrows. Balaam continues to say, he bows down, he lies down as a lion, as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you. And cursed is he who curses you, the words of Balaam. (laughs) You know, Balaam talks differently, I'll tell you, when he hears from God. God blesses those who see and hear what he is doing and who follow him. God continues to work today, right now, this second, and we must follow God. Beloved, right now God is working Did you know that? Did you know Jesus Christ is still alive? And let me tell you something. He came and he died on the cross. That was a great humiliation for any Roman and any citizen of that time. To be killed on the cross represented rebellion and and, uh, and repugnancy against the government. And he was killed on the cross, not because he did anything wrong, but because that's what we would do. That's what we deserve. But then he rose again after three days in the flesh and he paid the price of sin. Nobody has ever done this. Jesus did it and he's alive today, sitting at the right hand of the Father and his Holy Spirit is looking down on earth saying, come to me, all you who heavy laden and I will give you rest. Beloved, reach your spirit out to Jesus Christ today and say, Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sin. Help me to follow you. And I believe you died on the cross and paid the price of sin. Help me today. I'm a sinner and I need your help. Thank you, Lord. And in Jesus' wonderful name, we said together, amen. We'll make it so. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid. 
not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing. Well, today I have a fun little piece on the River Arnon, which we first read about in Numbers chapter 21, part of our assigned reading today. And in this segment, I want to explore the geography of the Arnon to see how important it was and is not just to human beings, but also to a lot of different wildlife. And part of what makes this river so unique is its extremely high and low elevations. It starts up high in the Arabian Mountains and ends off at the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the Earth. Check it out. Since very ancient times, the river Arnon has played an important role as a territorial border. In fact, the Bible first mentions the Arnon as the boundary line between the Moabites and Ammonites, and would prove to be a key location for many years to come. This incredibly unique river system begins high up in the hills of northern Arabia, before coursing westward down through a deep narrow gorge that eventually empties into the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the earth at 410 meters below sea level. Since the Arnon is 900 meters above sea level at its highest point, this means that it has a variation in elevation of 1300 meters, or 4300 feet. Also adding to its flow is a network of seven connecting tributaries, referred to as the Valleys of the Arnon in the Biblical narrative. Although this river has since dried up into a wadi, now called the Wadi Mujib, the ancient importance of the river and of the towns in its vicinity is attested by the numerous ruins of bridges, forts, and buildings found upon or near it. Its forts are alluded to by Isaiah, and its heights, crowned with the castles of chiefs, were also celebrated in Numbers 21-28. Military campaigns in the wadis of the Arnon also form part of the subject matter of the now-lost Book of the Wars of the Lord, and there's even remains of an old Roman road and bridge. But the Arnon hasn't only been a hotspot for humans, it's also home to large amounts of wildlife. Because of its extreme changes in elevation, combined with the valley's year-round water flow from its seven tributaries, the Arnon enjoys a magnificent biodiversity that is still being explored and documented to this day. So far, over 300 species of plants, 10 species of carnivores, and numerous species of permanent and migratory birds have been recorded. Furthermore, some of the remote mountain and valley areas are difficult to reach and thus offer safe havens for rare species of cats, goats, and other mountain animals, such as the striped hyena, the Syrian wolf, the Caracal mountain cat, and one of the most endangered animals of the Arnon, the Nubian ibex, which is a large mountain goat that became threatened as a result of overhunting. And despite the fact that the surrounding geography is mostly desert, the slopes of the mountainous land are very sparsely vegetated, with a steppe-type vegetation on plateaus. The less severe slopes are actually used by shepherds for the grazing of sheep and goats. Furthermore, groundwater seepage does occur in places along the Dead Sea shore, such as at the hot springs of Zara, which support a luxuriant thicket of acacia, tamarics, phoenix, and nerium, as well as a small marsh. Truly, the Arnon has been and continues to be an important place on planet Earth. 
So as you can see, the River Arnon has been and remains to be a very important place. And although it has since dried up into a wadi, even today it is a very impressive sight. As a matter of fact, it's a very popular tourist attraction to this day, and you can actually pay for a tour guide to take you on a hike through its deep gorge. Once again, we can see that the Bible isn't a book of fiction, as some suppose. It records real events, real people, and real places. And that fact helps to substantiate its lofty claim that it is the very Word of God. But, I mean, don't just take my word for it. I challenge all of you who might be questioning the Bible to test it for yourself. It's critically important because if the Bible is real and true, then it cannot be ignored. Why? Because of the internal implications. The Bible says that without the repentance of sins and without putting our trust in Jesus Christ, we will be eternally condemned. For the sake of our souls, shouldn't that be an investigation that we make without delay? Think about it. Yeah, it really should be. And somewhere along the way, we're going to learn, all of us will learn at some point, that uh, we're, we're not we're not right, that something's wrong. And that thing that's wrong is sin. That's very interesting, mm-hmm. right? You know, the Arnon River, that's fascinating. I mean, it's a dried up river today, but yeah. you can hike through the river. You can. I mean, there is, there is still quite a bit of water there. Uh, you can you go onto YouTube and you can find some people's videos of them actually hiking down through this place. It's beautiful. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So, yeah. And that's what YouTube is all about. It's fascinating stuff. <laughs> uh, I love that. Okay, so, Corey. All right. Well, today I'm taking a look at Balaam because we come across this character today in the Bible and he's not strictly a biblical character. And by that, I mean, uh, he isn't introduced to the world through the Bible. He's just kind of been preserved through the Bible. He wasn't a figure that was well known to ancient Israel, but it does seem he was well known to the surrounding nations of that time. And history has actually backed this up. Take a look. Numbers 22 to 24 tell of a run-in that the Israelites had with Balaam, son of Beor, who was believed to have been powerful with the spiritual world. So well known were Balaam's abilities that the king of Moab sent for him, even though it appears he was not a Moabite and was likely about a 25-day journey away. In the biblical account, Balaam's profession seems to be dealing in the spiritual world for money. He was a seer or a prophet, and perhaps surprising to the modern reader is that it worked. Balaam, a pagan prophet, was able to receive messages from the true God without seeming surprised or put out of sorts in any way. In the modern world, historians too have had their own run-in with Balaam, son of Beor. In 1967, archaeologists working in the Jordan Valley found an inscription dating to around 800 BC. If accurate, this date would make the inscription contemporary with the biblical prophet Elisha, King Ahab, King Jehu, and the foreign king Hazael. This inscription was found in a large sanctuary and tells of Balaam's great abilities in understanding the spiritual world and being able to influence it. Though dating to after Balaam's life, this inscription proves that Balaam was believed to have been a real historic figure and one influential enough in the area to record his exploits on temple walls. It verifies his biblical identification as a professional seer and provides an interesting viewpoint on the spiritual world. Balaam deals with the spiritual world as a pantheon of gods and goddesses with varying degrees of power that lie behind and interfere with the physical world. Balaam's job was to find ways of interfering in that spiritual world to benefit humans. In the Bible's case, the human trying to benefit was the king of Moab. 
While the Dear Allah inscription records a successful episode of Balaam, the Bible records one of his failures. Balaam was unable to overcome the edict of God, was forced to recognize his supremacy, and at least officially bless the Israelites. In true fashion, however, Balaam still did find a way to help Moab's king. So there we go, a really interesting figure uh, that you know was clearly known in the ancient world, uh, and he shows up in the Bible again. He's going to be talked about in the in the scripture again. So it's important to remember not only where his story is, where he intersects with uh, Israel, but also to understand what it is that he did, how he got around not being able to curse them and still managed to curse them in a way. So all very interesting stuff. The interesting. Thing- about this prophet is that he finds a way mm-hmm. to do to 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 pronounce condemnation on Israel without pronouncing it. Yeah, he's he's trying to he's trying to play both sides of the aisle. He's he's pleasing both of his masters. He's trying to please God, who he knows is not allowing him to actually properly curse Israel. Then he's also needing to please the king who has hired him to curse Israel by giving him advice on how to do it in a more roundabout way. So okay. the, the and the, this is interesting because the king just I mean the, he just can't stand Israel and Israel's sitting right down mm-hmm. there and he doesn't want to do anything thing because God is with him. So he gets a spiritual guy to do this. And, you know, it's fascinating because later on, Balaam doesn't end well. Nope. And, but, it, but it's, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people today, they try to do that. They try to please God and still please man at the same time. It never works very well. <laughs> it doesn't have a good ending. It never does. I mean, no. you've either got to look seriously and please God, or mm-hmm. you've got to, you know, reject God. You can't do one or the other. And I know many people who've tried to do that. Yeah. And and, it, and it's our behavior that really reveals that in us. It's one thing to say who you're following and to say who you believe in. And it's another thing for your life to reflect that belief. So the, the decisions that we make in our life need to be made and are made based off of who we're actually following, whether ourselves or God or the world. So when you talk to somebody and you you begin to speak to them about who you follow and who you know, and they say to you, yeah, well, that's fine. You follow God, but look what you did here. What do you say to them? Yeah, it's your fruit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the fruit I, that you bear. I can tell yeah. you that I've had many times when I've been disappointed in myself. Mm-hmm. And I've had to say, well, that's exactly my point. God is greater than I am. Don't look, don't judge God by me, mm-hmm. but judge God by God. But I'm trying my best to point to God, and that's what I'm attempting to do. Yeah. And if I mess up here or there, that's my mess up. Yeah. Well, and there's a difference between... Um, accidentally messing up Mm -hmm. and purposefully pursuing sin while pretending like it's not sinful or (laughs) while justifying it to yourself, well, I deserve this because I'm such a great Christian and this area of my life is really great, so I deserve this indulgence. Well, that that is a completely different story, and that means you are your own God. God is not your God at that point, and that that's a situation that needs remedy between you and God. I was teaching in school, in a school at... uh, one of the colleges and a student came to me and said, yeah, I came to know the Lord and I have this problem. I said, what? Well, the lady who, uh, the woman who told me about the Lord was living with her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And uh, I read in the Bible where, you know, you're not really supposed to do that. You're supposed to marry. And I asked her, I said, you told me about God and I got saved. 
but you're living with your boyfriend. And I said, well, yeah, it's true. She shouldn't be living with her boyfriend. I asked her, well, what did she say? She said, well, she didn't say anything. And that's really interesting. We're yeah. into that kind of and, situation. And I mean, we're not all of us are going to have perfect theology. We're going to have blind spots. But the, where the rubber meets the road is when we're confronted with mm -hmm. truth, how do we then respond? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do we then allow ourselves to be changed uh, or not? Because that is revealing, you know, what 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 is the result of your faith? Is it becoming more like God or not? It, and that exposes whether you have a, a true faith in yeah. God or not, That's a true a belief. That's a bit of a, a poorness and a meekness in spirit, which mm -hmm. is what I believe Jesus was talking about uh, in the Gospels, mm -hmm. you know, his whole Sermon on the Mount. So, yeah. you know. So in other words, you've got to be, you've got to be focused on finding the truth and sticking with the truth and saying, Lord, I, this is the truth and I'm wrong and I've got to go forward, I've got to do the truth. That, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of people today who are watching this program who are thinking that through. And uh, the truth, that's the truth. So that's fascinating. Janice? Always come to God. Always, always come to God. Don't try to hide. You can't hide from God. Adam and Eve tried to. Didn't work, nope. didn't work. All right, fun Friday wrap up question. <laughs> Anywhere from numbers one to 24. I'm going to give you a hint right off the top. In Numbers chapter 7, and I hear Bible pages just flying. <laughs> In Numbers chapter 7, the offerings from the leaders of Israel for the dedication of the altar were presented to the Lord, who was the one to offer his offering on the first day. Was that Nashan, Nethanel, or Eliab? Which one <laughs> was the first one? And without, excuse me, sir. Given the way I didn't see, don't worry. <laughs> I, didn't no, I didn't see. see. I know. Even our children have you learned to turn around so that they Avert are going quickly. <laughs> so, who was the first one to offer his offering on the first day? Was I it Nashan? Was it Nathanel or Eliab? Um, Nathanel? Eliab? I think we should Nashan. just go for A. The first one? Yeah. Okay, because I really don't know. All I right. don't, I think, I know it's not the third one. That's all I yeah, know. So yeah. it's got to be one or two. So. Yeah. Well, I one. know there's a lot of people at home that you have found the answer already because it is in number seven. There are others of you that have just guessed it because you knew it. And if you agreed with Ryan and Corey, you are absolutely right. Yay. Because Numbers chapter seven, verse 12 says, and the one who offered his offering on the first day was Noshin, the son of Aminadab from the tribe of Judah. Today, I want to remind you that we are available three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30. That's the time of New York. That's also the Eastern time, Eastern Standard Time. And we want to encourage you to join us for prayer. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery TV. We'll pray for you. Today, let's pray and say, Lord, help me not to become wrapped up in my own personal ambitions. Help me to see that you have something for me that's much greater.